0: We're in a, a series called Two Masters. This is the fourth message in that series. Coming back to it now, I had a couple of weeks off with Mother's Day and so forth. And, and coming back to that series, and, and it's built upon one verse where Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. He said, you cannot serve both God and money. Now, why would we spend several weeks talking about personal finances? Well, here's why. The number one thing that tends to get between us and God is our money and our stuff. I'll say that again because I want to make sure you hear that and focus on it for a moment. The number one thing that tends to get between us and God is our money and our stuff. In general, we all struggle with that some more than others. But that's the one thing that we struggle with the most. You see, here's what I want to say to you, and I'm just going to say it as plain as I can. You cannot be a whole wholeheart, wholehearted follower of Jesus if you're not willing to surrender that part of your life to Him. If you're not willing to surrender control of your finances to the Lord Jesus, you cannot be a follower of Christ, a wholehearted follower of Christ. Now, let me put you... A little bit at ease here with a story, because I know whenever you start talking about money, people start getting a little bit defensive. So let me tell you about a story about the old Quaker. He was a nonviolent Quaker, he had taken an oath not to be violent. But one night, there was a guy who broke into his house. The Quaker had a hunting rifle, and so he got his hunting rifle and he pointed it at the robber. And he said, Thou knowest I am not a violent man. Thou knowest that I would not hurt thee for anything. But I am about to pull the trigger and shoot right where thou standest so you mightn't move. (laughs) I just want to be honest with you today. I'm about to pull the trigger and shoot right where you're standing. But I hope you don't move. Can I tell you this? Jesus isn't interested in getting more of your money. What he is interested in getting is your heart. He, he wants to capture your hearts because our hearts is where we decide who we're following, who we're committed to. In Matthew 6, 21, Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, now here's the one thing that a lot of people just can't get their mind around when they're thinking of this concept of, of following the Lord and, and our personal finances. Here's what a lot of people can't get their minds around. Money is a spiritual issue. Now, you probably some of you pushing back on that and say, "No, no, 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 no. Money is a personal issue." And I wish I hadn't come today because I thought you were you're off of this series on finances. Money is a personal issue, Pastor. And the sooner you learn that, the better off you'll be. No, no, no. Money is a spiritual issue. And the sooner you learn that, the better off you will be. So why do you you say it's a spiritual issue? Because the Bible teaches very clearly that you cannot divorce uh, your relationship with God from your finances. Uh, Your devotion to God is connected to all areas of your life. Even your finances. Now you can try to divorce the two. You can try to separate the two and say, okay, here's my relationship with God and here's my finances. And you can try, if you want to, to separate the two. But the one who sees our hearts says, you do not have the capacity to somehow serve both God and money. The one who sees our hearts says, you will either be surrendered to God or you will be surrendered to your money, but you cannot be surrendered to both. It's just not possible. Now, the passage in the New Testament that probably illustrates that better than any I know is in the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 6. 1 Timothy, chapter 6. Open your Bibles to 1 Timothy, uh, chapter 6. Today I want to give you some simple, straightforward, biblical advice that I think will help you avoid the money trap that has captured so many people's hearts and wrecked many homes and marriages. Now, before I read the text, let me say a word to the younger folks in the crowd. We've got some younger folks here, those in high school, those in college, and and those who are young married. And before I tell them something... I want to say something to the older folks as well. I'm getting ready to give you a chance to say amen. All right, I expect the older folks in the crowd, if you've never said amen before in your life, I'm expecting you to give me a good hearty amen on what I'm about to say to the younger folks. All right, so here it is. Those of you who are in high school, and I know lots of them are down the other service, but those that are in high school or in college, and especially those who are young married, Listen to this. It's never going to be easier to put God first in your finances than it is right now. You see, you've got fewer financial pressures right now than you'll ever have. And all God's people said, you see, later. Now, I know right now, if you just got married, you're thinking, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Because we don't have two pennies to rub together. Well, let me tell you what it's going to be like later. Later. Later, you're going to have a mortgage. Or maybe you'll have a mortgage that's more than the mortgage you're having right now. And later, God willing, you might have kids. And then later, you're going to have medical expenses. And then later, you're going to have to maintain four or five cars because your kids all have a car. You've got a car. Your wife has a car. And later, they're going to want to go to college. And if you have more than one child that wants to go to college, then you're never going to have any money. And then... And then later, you're going to have to think about retirement. I'm telling you, if you're 25 and you just got married, you're in better shape financially than you're ever going to be. And I didn't mean to depress you. But here's what I am trying to get you to see. The sooner you learn to put into practice some of the basic principles of Scripture regarding your finances, the better off you'll be. But I also want you to understand this. It's never too late just start practicing biblical principles of finances either. So, let's see what God's Word has to say in 1 Peter 6, verse 9 and 10. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierce themselves with many griefs. what I want to do today is just give you kind of a running commentary on this text. And in these two verses, Paul warns us about the dangers of money. Now you probably, it's been a long time perhaps, if ever, that you've ever thought about the dangers of money. You don't think of money as being dangerous. But Paul very clearly helps us understand the dangers of money. And he says in verse 9, he starts with this word, people and I'm just going to go through these two verses kind of word by word for a moment. People. Now, that, that, word, that first word people means not just church people, not just religious people, not just godly people or Christian people, but just regular people people. People. Anybody. In other words, this what he's about to say will apply to anyone, whether you're a Christian or not. He said people who want to get rich. That's the next phrase I want to focus on. Get rich. He's describing people... Listen to who he's describing. He's describing people who want more than they need. People who want more than they need. They want to get rich. They don't want to just have their needs met. They want to get rich. Warren Wiersbe said, it describes a person who has to have more and more material things in order to be happy and satisfied. So here's what he says. People, anybody, whether you're Christian or not, who want to get rich have more than they need, fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Paul says the desire to get rich sets you up to fall in three very distinct areas. Number one, the desire to get rich will set you up to fall, he says, into temptation. Now, have you Have you ever fallen into something? I don't mean you just fell, but you fell into something. Have you ever fallen into something? In fact, if you've fallen into something, maybe even this week or this month, raise your hand. Have you fallen into something? Nobody, nobody. I can't see all the way back. Oh, you did. All right. I'm glad to see there are other clumsy people in the church today. Thank you. Uh, if you fall into something like like you might fall into the lake. Or you might fall into a hole. Here's the thing I want you to understand. You don't do that deliberately, do you? The the very definition of falling into implies this was not something you planned. It was not something you expected. This was not something where you said to your buddy, hey, watch this. Watch what I'm about to do. No, you don't plan this. You don't expect it. You just fell into the lake. You fell into a hole. You didn't know it was there. You didn't know what was going to happen. And then it happened. Paul says, if you're not careful, in your desire to get rich, in your desire to get more than you need, you will set yourself up to fall into temptation. You'll find yourself falling into temptations you did not expect. Finding yourself falling into temptations you didn't plan. You didn't see it coming. You kind of fell into the temptation. The temptation to neglect your family. The temptation to perhaps compromise your convictions. The temptation to make risky investments. You just kind of fell into it. You didn't plan it. You didn't intend to. You didn't think through it. You, you just, you just kind of fell into it. Because you were driven by your desire to get more, to get rich. I think the one place where I learned this better than any other was uh, when I was in college. I was preparing for the ministry, and during that time I worked for two summers at a church in East Tennessee. It was a wonderful experience. I worked with a pastor that I really admired. He was kind of a spiritual mentor to me during those two years. He was... A personal friend, and I, I consider him a personal friend today as well. The first year that I worked with this pastor, it was just, everything was great. And, and I, wherever I went, this was a little community, a small little city in East Tennessee, and everywhere I went, when they found out that I was the student pastor at this particular church, everybody knew the church that I was talking about. Everybody spoke highly of my pastor. Everybody respected that man. He was one of the pillars of the community. He was the kind of guy, for instance, every year at the high school graduation, he was the speaker, or at the baccalaureate. He was the speaker. Every year, this was the pillar of the community. And I was working with him and working for him that first summer. It was wonderful. A year later, I came back for the second summer to be the summer student pastor for that second summer, and something had changed. His reputation wasn't what it used to be in the community. And there was tension in the church. And there were some struggles that appeared even in his own family. And then I found out that he was under tremendous financial pressure because during that year, he decided while he was still pastoring to buy a car lot and to open a restaurant. And during that one year time... started out great and then they both took a nosedive and so did his ministry he was still in the church for a little while but in that one year everything fell apart and as a young pastor i looked at that man that i so respected and admired and i said to the lord god you've only called me to do one thing you've called me to preach you've called me to pastor and I will never get involved in any kind of business so long as you want me to do that. Paul says you've got to be careful because driven by this desire to succeed and get more and get rich, he says you can fall into temptations you never planned, you never anticipated, you never wanted. And then he says not only will you Set yourself up to fall into temptation. He said, secondly, you'll set yourself up to fall into a trap. Verse 9, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap. See, getting more money can look very, very appealing. I don't know about you, but I like more money. How about you? I like it when I've got money. And it can be very appealing, but it also can be a trap that you don't even notice until it's too late. You know what a trap is? A trap is something you get into that you can't get out of. It's a trap. Paul said, if you're not very careful in your pursuit of riches, in your pursuit of money, you can get into something that you can't get out of. C.S. Lewis said, prosperity knits a man to the world. He feels he is finding his place in it when really it is finding its place in him. Now, I try to be very transparent and very honest with you guys. and uh, Let me tell you about a time when Lisa and I uh, had a car we were trying to sell. And I found out what it is to be in a trap. We had an automobile that we needed to sell, we wanted to sell. The gas mileage, we, it was a Ford Expedition, and the gas mileage was awful. You know, I, seen, I don't remember exactly, 10, 12, maybe 13 miles to the gallon at the best... And that was back when gas was really high, and we needed to sell it. I said, we, we, we can't afford this thing. we got to sell this thing. And, and so we tried to sell it. Nobody would buy it. Not shocking. I mean, that's not surprising with the gas way it was. And then we said, okay, well, let's trade it. We'll, we'll try to trade it for something smaller, something less expensive, something better mileage, and we tried to trade it. And, and the, the salesman said, well, the problem is you're upside down in your car. I had never heard that term before. I didn't know what he was talking about. You're ups- I said, "What do you mean? I'm upside down in my car. I'm right here in your office. He said, "What I mean is this: You owe more on the car than it's worth." Oh, well, yeah. And then, you know what I begin to feel? I begin to feel the jaws of that trap. Because I still had to make that car payment, but I couldn't get rid of the car. I still had to make that car payment every month, but I couldn't get rid of that stinking Ford Expedition. I still had to put gas in it, you know, and it would take, you wouldn't believe how much it would take to fill it up, but I was in a trap. Some of you are upside down in your homes, aren't you? Upside down in your mortgage. You're in a home that you can't get out of. And every month you feel the squeeze, and every month there's tension because of the price you have to pay for that stinking house. According to U.S. News and World Report, listen to this. One in three Americans are near financial disaster. One in three. A study published by uh, Bankrate.com suggests that 37% of Americans have credit card debt, listen to this, they have credit card debt that is greater than or equal to their emergency savings. Meaning, that if a steep medical bill comes in, or a car accident occurs, or some other unexpected expense occurs, it will likely push them over a budgetary cliff. The Word of God warns us if we just read our Bible. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap. They get into something they can't get out of. Then he said, but you also, in your pursuit of things and in your pursuit of money, you also set yourself up a third way to fall. People, verse 9, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into, what's that next word? Not some, but many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. I, I bet if we had the time, many of you could tell us about somebody that you know who's been ruined by money. The more they got, the more they wanted. And the more they got, the more they wanted. And the more they got, the more they wanted. And they got caught up in that endless cycle and it led to ruin and destruction. Perhaps their marriage was ruined. Their family perhaps was ruined. Maybe their reputation was ruined because the more they got, the more they wanted. It's this foolish and harmful desire that we sometimes experience. Dr. Paul Powell said that he had a young lady in his church and she and her husband were having financial difficulty, great financial difficulty. And they eventually experienced a breakup in their marriage. And she told her pastor, I think we were happier when we were poorer. In her estimation, their wealth cost them too much. So he warns us in verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. He didn't say it's wrong to have money. He said it's the love of money that is a root of all kinds of evil. And some people, listen to this, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The love of money, that is the pursuit of more and more making it the ultimate pursuit of your life the love of money i got to get more i got to i got to work harder i got to work longer i got to work on sundays i got to do work overtime i i, I got to go for it i got to get it while i can i got to get everything i can the love of money the pursuit of money he says is a root of all kinds of evil and some people now this doesn't apply to everyone some people eager for money Some people, eager for money, he says, watch this, have wandered from the faith. You see, I've tried to tell you before and I'm going to say it again. Money is a spiritual issue. In other words, in their pursuit and love for money, the things that money can buy, that pursuit for money becomes greater than their pursuit and love for God. Can I tell you something? When you're pursuing money, I want to tell you something. When you're pursuing money and what money can buy, when that becomes your ultimate goal, when that becomes the love of your life, I want to promise you something. I promise you that will lead to frustration in your heart. I promise you that will lead to problems in your family. There's a verse I want you to find in the Old Testament. You need to find it and mark it in your Bible. And uh, it's found in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. If you're not sure where Ecclesiastes is, you can go to the book of Psalms, turn right, you'll find Proverbs, and go over one more book, and you'll find Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 5. This really is one of those verses that you ought to mark in your Bible. It really is a verse that you ought to underline or highlight or circle. It really is a verse that you need to see it and remember how to find it. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. Some of you are saying, Pastor, you just described my husband, or you just described my wife. It doesn't matter how much we make, it's never enough. It doesn't matter how much we have, how much we bring in, he's never satisfied. She's never satisfied. Look at the verse again. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. Now here's what we think that verse says. We think that verse says, those who love money will eventually have enough. Eventually, in our thinking, eventually more equals enough. I just got to get a little bit more. I know what I've got, and more, eventually, more equals enough. But that's not true. See, the Bible says, whoever loves money never has enough. The Bible says, whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. How meaningless to think that more wealth can bring you true happiness. I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. Money is a spiritual issue. It's not a financial issue, or not just a financial issue. Do you know why money, do you know why money deceives us? You know why money deceives us? It deceives us because money listen you, you won't be surprised at what I'm about to say. Money deceives you because money can make you happy, dot, 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 for a while. Right? It can make you happy for a while. I mean, as soon as you get that new shiny thing, you're happy. As soon as you get that thing you've been looking for, wanting for, trying to find a way to buy, you're happy. As soon as you get that raise, as soon as you get that promotion, you're happy for a while. And the happiness will then eventually fade. Never forget, several years ago, sitting in a very beautiful home, talking to a gentleman and, and he said, Keith, I just don't understand my life. He says, I have everything I'm supposed to have to be happy, and I'm miserable. He said, I have this big home, and I have another one at the beach, and I have new cars in the driveway, and I have an, a plane at the airport, and I can buy anything I want to buy. I should be happy, but I'm not. Bible says, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I dare say some of you know what that feels like. You know the grief. You know the pain. God would say, you've neglected the things that are important to me in order to pursue the things that are important to you. And when you neglect the things that are important to me in order to pursue the things that are important to you, it will lead to many griefs and pain. Money is a spiritual issue. We've got to come to terms with that. That's why Jesus said you cannot serve both God and money. One will always take precedence over the other. Always. That's why Paul gave this warning. I want you to go back uh, to First Timothy Chapter 5. And look at this warning that Paul gave. Or chapter 6. Look at this warning that Paul gave in verse 11. He says, But you, men of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. But you, that's a word of contrast with the some people that he mentions in verse 10. But you... If you're going to be a man or woman of God, then you're going to have to live differently than others live. Flee from all of this. In other words, instead of longing to be rich, long to be godly. Instead of working to be rich, work to be godly. Instead of striving to get more, strive to allow God to have more of you. That's why it says in verse 12, fight the good fight of faith take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you, were, when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You know what he's saying? He's saying there was a day when Jesus was the greatest thing you ever had. There was a day when he was worth more to you than everything else in all the world. There was a day when money paled in comparison to Jesus. And that day, for some of you, Has faded. Somehow you begin to get your eyes on the shiny things of the world. And begin to pursue that. Begin to strive to get more of that. You can't serve both God and money. You have to choose one or the other. But let me say something to you. If you're frustrated and not sure how you're ever going to get back to where you need to be, there's hope. And it's found in verse 17. Listen to verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in their wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides with everything for our enjoyment. Put their hope in God. Look up here. Look up here. Just like you did the first day you claimed Him a Savior. Put your hope in God again. Just like He was the greatest treasure you had ever found. Put your hope in God again. Admit to God. This really is a spiritual issue. And I'm going to take my hands off of it. Because you are Lord of all my life. Not just Lord on Sundays. And I'm going to pursue you, God, more than I pursue all of this stuff I've collected. Nothing wrong with having stuff. There's nothing wrong with being rich. There are some very rich people in the Bible. There's nothing wrong with having money so long as you use it the way God wants you to use it for His kingdom, instead of building your kingdom. Now let's pray about that. Would you join me? You may be overwhelmed with where your life has ended up as you have pursued more money. Perhaps you're burdened about your marriage, your family, because you've neglected both for a long time. Perhaps you've been running after the wrong things and striving and just thinking a little bit more, and I'll be happy a little bit more, I'll be satisfied. But in the Ecclesiastes, it says, no, you'll never be satisfied so long as money is your God. And so today, I'm going to ask you just, if you need to come publicly or where you're at, to make the commitment to the Lord. I'm going to quit pursuing the things of this world, and I'm going to pursue you, Lord. I'm going to quit pursuing gold. And I'm going to pursue God. And I'm going to recognize that all of my life belongs to Him. Not just some of my life. And I'm going to allow Him to use everything I have, including my wealth, for His kingdom, for His glory, for His work. Would you make that your heart commitment today? Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you that you are patient with us. You love us enough to tell us the truth, even when it hurts. And thank you, Lord, for your provision, the things that we do have. May we all seek to live in a way that we are managers of what you've given us, that we are stewards of what you've put in our hands. And I pray for those who are under the pressure right now of bad decisions. Those who are under the pressure of temptations they have fallen into. Traps they can't get out of. I pray for wisdom. I pray you direct each of their steps. But I pray that their first step will be to turn their heart back to you. And I ask that in Christ's name.